0: Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. talk. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday. We're halfway through the week and there are just three days left in the year of the rabbits. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to Money Talk for the 7th of February. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, Australia's central bank left interest rates on hold but cut its growth forecasts for the economy as weaker consumer spending hurts the country's outlook. The Reserve Bank of Australia held rates at 4.35% following its first meeting of 2024. It said that it expects fewer rate cuts to be implemented in Australia compared to peer economies, despite signs that inflation is easy. The RBA cut its project- projection for GDP growth to 1 three percent by June 2024 from 1.8% forecast in November and lowered its estimates out to 2025. Thailand's Prime Minister Shrita Tavisan is urging Parliament to approve a plan to give one-off payments of 10,000 baht. That's 280 US dollars to about 50 million low-income citizens via a digital wallet and setting him on a collision course with the country's central bank governor. On Tuesday, Mr. Shretta reiterated his call for the central bank to lower rates, saying a cut of 25 basis points wouldn't stir inflation. The Thai central bank, which holds its first rate-setting meeting of the year today, has kept its policy rate at a decade high of two and a half percent. Rising sales of hybrid cars helped Toyota beat estimates in the third quarter as the world's largest automaker raised 4 year profit forecasts. A Japanese company increased its operating profit forecast for the year to US$34 billion and shares of Toyota jumped almost 5% in Tokyo following the results. Chinese equities rebounded on Tuesday as state funds vowed to step up share purchases in an attempt to put a floor under months of sliding prices. Shares began climbing after Central Huxian, an investment arm of China's sovereign wealth fund, said it would expand its purchases of exchange-traded funds. The China Securities Regulatory Commission also said it would encourage institutional investors to hold A shares for a longer period of time. And Bloomberg reported that President Xi Jinping will discuss the stock market with financial regulators, stoking optimism about more concerted efforts to stop a slump in the market. On today's programme, I'm joined by Antio Ronfaule, Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield, and William Maher, Chief Investment Officer at Grow Investment Group. And if you want to get in touch, I'm sure you know the drill by now. You can go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll post on my Facebook page, Peter Lewis Money Talk. And on X, I'm at Money Talk R3. Peter Lewis is Money Talk. On Wall Street's Tuesday, US stocks rose, with relatively broad gains across the S&P 500, overpowering a slide in heavyweight tech stocks. The S&P 500 climbed 0.2% to settle near the session high at 4,954. The Dow jumped 141 points, or 0.4%, to end at 38,521. The Nasdaq Composites inched up 0.1% to close at 15,609. US-listed China stocks bounced on Tuesday following a rebound in Shanghai and Shenzhen earlier in the day. Billy Billy was one of the biggest gainers. Its ADRs surged 12.2%. VNet Group leapt 10.6%. Xpeng, that added 11.7%, while Li Auto rocketed 10.5% higher. JD.com, that was up 7.7%, and Auto Homes surged 11.8%. New York Community Bank Corp fell more than 22% to hit its lowest level since 1997. That follows a 42% loss last week after it took a $552 million provision for credit losses and cut its dividend to shore up capital. NYCB took over the failed Signature Bank during the regional banking crisis in 2023, and the KBW Regional Banking Index lost 1.4%, and that index is down 15% now from its December highs. Traders bought U.S. government debt amid the regional banking fears. The yield on the 10-year Treasury was down 8 basis points to 4.09%, and the yield on the two-year note dropped 8 basis points to 4.40%. In the FX markets, the dollar was sold broadly through the US session as yields fell. The yen ended the day half a percent firmer at 147.9 yen, following a Reuters report saying the Bank of Japan is on track for a policy shift by April. In Shanghai, the yuan was boosted by stock market support measures, climbing 0.1% to around 7.19 renminbi to the dollar. Gold ended the day half a percent higher at $2,035 an ounce, and the Brent crude oil contracts for April settled at $78.59 a barrel, up 0.8% on the day. Chinese equities rebounded on Tuesday as state funds vowed to step up share purchases. After some wild swings on Friday and Monday, the CSI 300 closed 3.5% higher on Tuesday. The broader CSI 500 index closed up almost 8%. And its small cap counterparts, the CSI 1000 index, closed 7% higher. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index closed 627 points, or 4% higher at 16,137. That's its biggest rise since July the 25th. And the Hang Seng Tech Index closed with gains of 6.7% does look like the rally may continue this morning. Futures markets pointing to further gains of about 115 points in the Hang Seng, projected to open at 16,250. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lu- Let's welcome our Wednesday morning guests. It's Enzio von Vall, Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield. Morning, Enzio. Morning to you. And also with us is William Ma, who is Chief Investment Officer at the Grow Investment Group. Very good morning to you, William. Good morning, Peter. Now, as you heard there, Chinese equities rebounded as state funds vowed to step up share prices in an attempt to put a floor under what's been really months of sliding prices. An investment arm of China's sovereign wealth fund is going to expand its purchases of exchange-traded funds. The regulator, the CSRC, will encourage institutional investors to hold A shares for a longer period of time. And even President Xi Jinping is getting involved. Bloomberg reported that President Xi will discuss the stock market with financial regulators. And that stoked optimism about more concerted efforts to stop a slump in the market. Um, NGO, haven't we heard all of this before? Why is it going to be different uh, this time, all these support measures?
1: We've heard it before and the Teflon Band-Aid won't be different. Um, what we're seeing is yet again that, he, that um, people are fiddling around at the symptoms, not at the causes of what's going on. What's going on in my mind is this, this um, party state capitalism has gripped the markets whereby the government decides through its party cells and individual companies what needs to be done. That then thwarts the 80% of the employment growth, which, the, which private companies really do, and that in turn thwarts the economy, the economic growth. So mm. I'm just of the view that he's not going to get anywhere by fiddling around with this, let's inject more money because it's like a Teflon band-aid, it just won't stick. It and, can't stick.
0: And presumably you've got to keep on doing it. It is not, can't just be a one-off yes. because as soon as the market – if you don't solve the underlying problems, the market will just sink again once the, uh, once the support efforts come to an end and they've got to start all over again.
1: And, that, and one major consequence of that has got to be that he's going to um, irritate even more a lot of the local um, stockholders in China that the normal people who own stocks and shares <laughs> – I think that's that's the real domestic danger for him.
0: Mm. It sounds like they just don't want people to sell at all. It's not just short selling that's being banned. Um, they're actually twisting the arms of fund managers to not sell their current positions. Either hedge funds can't cl- close out uh, some of their positions. It's uh, it, it, it's sort of like becoming a totally manipulated market, isn't it?
1: Well, it even more because they're they're not only telling what the private companies through these one percent shareholders and private companies what to do. But then of course, as you're saying, they're they with the CSRC said it would punish malicious short selling and stop illegal behavior. So but I think it's 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 really it's 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 flaying on the outside at the causes, um, not at the at 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 the symptoms, not at the causes. And that's that's the danger that I see. That's why China just should not be touched for many, many Months, if not years, until this this party-state capitalism ends.
0: Okay. Well, I want to talk more a little in a moment about the causes. But William, let's bring you in here. What do you think mm, about yes. um, all this intervention from the authorities and even going all the way to the top to President Xi Jinping? By the sounds of it.
2: Well, I think as a fund manager, we have to go back to the basic and fundamental. And there are a couple of you know reason. That I think there is a short-term technical rebound, but in the long run, uh, we have to go back to the fundamental, meaning company earnings and country GDP growth. In terms of earnings, actually, we are seeing uh, the whole you know China market potentially. We are talking about ten percent earnings growth this year. So if that is being delivered, I I think at least you know the numbers speak for itself, same as, you know, 5% GDP expected growth. Mm. Uh, in the short term, I think I agree with NCO that, you know, um, just the um, government funding to the market is not enough because at the end of the day, we have to attract more, you know, local, you know, retail or institutional investor. And to some extent, you know, global investors, you know, back again. Um, there are short-term technical rebounds because I'm seeing um, sentiment, Point mix, you know, I think a lot of investors they are not trading if you look at the market volume. But at the same time, there are some technical, you know, guys coming in to uh, buy the dip on the market. Like I got a call yesterday from a US endowment, deputy CIO. They asked me whether, you know, this is a bottom, whether they should start some position. So I would say in the near term, there would be some people coming in to do the bottom fishing. But in the medium to long term, we have to go back to the earnings and GDP.
0: So do you think that if the authorities didn't get involved, the market may well rebound anyway if it's Um, Of its own accord, because as you say, there are people who are looking at uh, maybe trying to get in at low valuations or or low levels. Do you think it will be better if they just stepped aside, let the market find its own level and let buyers naturally come in?
2: Well, they did. (laughs) If you look at the 3000 points kind of light defence war, um, it has happened, you know, a few times. Like, you know, late last year, I don't think the intervention on the regulator is that high but at the end of the day, the uh, market correct. And there is also some structural product like Snowball, you know, being locked out. I think that caused some of the sentiment and also market uh, drawdown this year. Um, I would say right now is um, um, is the peak in terms of tools that the regulator is trying to use. I'm seeing a 300 degrees kind of light tools everywhere in terms of sector, in terms of, you know, market, uh, support and intervention. And um, I think all we need from my perspective is time.
0: Mm. does it as a fund manager does it worry you when you see this intervention because the risk of course is that if you start buying you may not be allowed to sell again
2: yes but this is not a new thing right so late last year i think there are rumors saying that some of the mutual fund company you know they are being kind of like advised to keep their long position so i don't think this is new to the market per se um at, at the end of the day i think people has gone through you know the post-COVID kind of light challenges already. Um, If, from my perspective, earnings coming back again in good sectors, I think that is the key points for investor uh, 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 confidence to coming back rather than any more different type of, you know, stimulus or support.
0: NCO, you were saying earlier that this is not going to work unless you go and address the underlying fundamental problems. What are the underlying fundamental problems that need to be fixed?
1: Well, there's one singular problem, which is income insecurity, and that is being driven by the party state capitalism, because it's the party now telling the party cells within individual companies, telling the companies basically what to do through these so-called management stakes, which give them extraordinary powers, despite even having just a 1% share in the company, they can pretty much tell the company what they need to do also, because you know who is behind them. So... Um, until the private sector is allowed to create demand-driven jobs, as opposed to jobs by fiat. We think there should be more pig farmers in Sichuan province next year. Until they're allowed to create more demand-driven jobs, you will find this economy really stagnating and becoming quite a danger, also perhaps even just geopolitically, because things aren't going to go anywhere. But again, it's this adherence to this party-state capitalism I think that's very much at the, at the root of the problem. Next, of course, the economic timing—pretty bad—excess demand for money and excess supply of goods. But that's cyclical. I'm talking mm. not now more about a structural, fundamental problem. As so, you were.
0: so to to fix stru- structural problems, you need structural reforms, don't you? And, and yes. messing around with the market isn't a structural reform.
1: No, no, it's 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 throwing a a a Teflon band aid at a forest fire. It's just not going to work. It cannot and, work.
0: And what does it say about the fact that President Xi Jinping himself is personally involved now in what's going on in the markets? Um, I don't mean he's buying himself, but he certainly seems to be <laughs> concerned about it. Um, why is that?
1: Well, because he knows, I suspect that it's going to all along lead to social unrest, if not already. I'm not sadly equipped to read or, or speak any Mandarin or read Chinese. Um, William can maybe sort of enlighten us, but I, I can't imagine that it's all tickety-boo on the social re- social happiness front in China because people are losing their jobs. The unemployment rate amongst the youth is 25% or so. It's not get too hung up on whether it's 20 or 25. Um, it's a very large number. So I think that those are, he sees these problems coming. and and But again, it's his adherence to this party state capitalism That's the root of, he's shooting himself in the foot in my mind.
0: William, what do you take from the fact that President Xi is getting involved? Do you see that as giving you some confidence that maybe Beijing is going to take more dramatic and, and direct support? Or how do you see it?
2: Well, if you look at the market participant reaction yesterday, it definitely is. Uh, but from my understanding, actually, um, the senior regulator has been keeping close eye, you know, on the uh, equity market situation. Uh, in particular, you know, um, I think um, it's all about you know consumer confidence, and we have been keep talking about you know the wealth effect from the real estate and the equity market. Uh, with the real estate market going down, I think the wealth effect has been you know challenging, and equity market is not going anywhere. So. Uh, to be honest, I think this is not a new news, you know, domestically in China, but I think in in global, it it triggers some of the foreign flow. Yesterday, global flow to China is the highest, you know, in the mm. last uh, eighteen months. You know, I I was I was I was told.
0: Yeah, So foreign investors, I mean, some of them have been saying this market is uninvestable at the moment. But as you say, there are others that must be looking at buying right now because we are seeing inflows again from foreigners, a record amounts for, for this year so far. So presumably there are foreign investors who are very tempted by the market at this level.
2: Well, yes, I think um, that is why you know we have an equity market. If there is no market turnover, <laughs> if there is no buyer, mm. that means there is no exchange of views. So as uh, mm. as long as the market has volume, right now I think in normal times, um, it's about one third of the peak, uh, uh market turnover. Like one trillion Remember right now is uh about thirty percent of it. So when when the volume resumed to half of one trillion, I would say the market is back to a healthy level, and um, I think another reason is um this year would be a volatile year you know no matter in china or in global so that's why you know i think some investors are also looking to take some profit from other country and rotate to the uh, country with uh uh, um you know cheaper valuation and definitely i think nco would would kind of like also point out that um the risk or the volatility in the china market is also quite high Mm -hmm. yes
0: well, it does seem there is quite a, a substantial shift going on in, in global markets because these billions that are being pulled out of China, much, much of that cash appears to be heading for India. And we've got uh, some of the big US investment banks like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley endorsing India as the prime investment destination for the next decade. The uh, Marshall Weiss says it's positioned India as its biggest long bet after the US in its flagship hedge fund, says Says it's making India its top emerging market holding, um, and several others um, are looking at buying. Even in Japan, um, retail investors there um, are starting to embrace um, India. So, do, wh- where do you see this? Do you see sort of India as being a major beneficiary here? And you?
1: Oh, uh, absolutely. Um, the economic factors, first of all, to state the obvious, India is not practicing China's party-state capitalism, so that's the huge benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is that the population in India has eclipsed China's, things that everybody's actually known for a long time, so I think it's very much the the, the, the real reason for India is it's a great replacement because of this party-state capitalism which the Chinese have had for a long, long time. It's not new but they're really pushing it more and more, and that's that's the problem. Of course, then India's also got a benefit, is benefiting from geopolitical shifts with multinationals de-risking their supply chains, and also the I believe the elections are still upcoming. I believe in India, so that also is going to help in improving economic time and excess demand for goods coming through in India. So those are a few plus factors, but I think the main one is it's the backdrop of a very boring China that is quite febrile. And I think that's what's making India and, and Japan, by the way, countries of
0: choice. It seems that, you know, if you're going to sell China, you've got to have somewhere else to go. And and particularly mm. if you're an emerging market investor, benchmark to an emerging market index. Um, you've got to find another emerging market to go to, and we haven't really had one until recently, but it does seem now that India is the one we're seeing that you know funds have put fifty cents to work in India for every dollar they've pulled out um, of china since since last year, so this does seem to be the go to market at the moment doesn't it
1: i think it's 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 a absolutely and again i'll I'll say it one final time it's because of china's state party state capitalism that that That's really what got the ball rolling. Um, and I'm not seeing that change in China. Thus, the Indian ball will continue rolling along with some pretty good economic time in India. Excess supply of money, excess demand for goods.
0: William, is is India a market that you look at?
2: Yes. You know, I've been investing in India, I think, for almost 20 years. So um, the key question to me, Peter, and NCO is... Um, mm-hmm. How much capital you want to take away from US? I think the bigger question is DM versus you know EM as you mentioned. I think a lot of bad global is too concentrated on US dollar and the Magnificent 7 and the global you know growth tag. And for a year like this year, I'm expecting global volatility due to geopolitical, due to the war, due to you know uh, other reason, the election. I think it could be very volatile. So if you want to diversify the concentrated bet in U.S., where you want to go, you know, I think EM is a bigger question. And then uh, within EM, you know, how to allocate between Japan, India, and China. Uh, is there an investor choice. You know what? You want to go for momentum. You want to go for cheap valuation. And then um, you want to go to a certain sector. My view is um, I do see a lot of so-called alpha opportunity you know, in China right now and India, I think it's a momentum trade. So there is no harm that you take trade or diversify portfolio on a few countries.
0: It's probably the case, isn't it, that India's market has got quite expensive over the past few months. It's reached uh, several auto all-time highs um, recently. So it's trading, what, about 20 times earnings now, forward earnings, I think, isn't it?
2: Well, it's cheap, Peter. <clears throat> because <laughs> if you remember, you know we always talk about you know, U.S. expensive, China, hmm. Asia is expensive. I think you know same cases can be applied to India. I do see a momentum is going there, but at the same time, I also notice you know the India retail people they have been quite bullish as well. You know, using leverage to go into the market, uh, in particular in the mid and small cap space. So I think for global investor maybe it's better to invest in the top, you know, nifty 50, you know, maybe some of the auto sector rather than go to the mid cap space because um, those uh, sector could be quite volatile if a margin is being involved.
0: Mm. But we must warn that India's not going to be an easy ride either, is it? I mean, it is a difficult country to invest in because ultimately, despite the economy growing fast, it is still a largely poor um, country it 's not so easy to to get into the market, so presumably if people go into India, they shouldn't expect a smooth ride there either.
2: Uh, yes, and uh, I think you know um, one one key observation Peter and NCO I had uh, mm-hmm. last year is um, I always you know suggest and advise my global peer group to invest in other country because of the pull factor, not because of the push factor. I've seen too much a push factor that you know um, fund manager redeem from China uh, exposure or they sell Hong Kong shares and then because of they they need to redeploy the capital within the bucket and then they invest in japan and india i think that could cause some short term you know mistake or volatility because they are not seeing opportunity in that country because they like them or they've they done a lot of research
0: and you know, how much is the political aspect important for investors here? Because there are foreign investors who see sort of China as a threat to the Western global order. And India is seen as a sort of potential counterweight uh, to that, isn't it? And also setting itself up as a, a potentially a viable manufacturing alternative to China.
1: Well, going very much back to my days working with Capitol Hill, absolutely. India's a good guy, and China, well, they're all communists anyway, according to the Americans, <laughs> and so they're bad guys. It's, 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 it's disgustingly simplistic how the people on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, whom I was advising, were just so blinkered with what I call the arrogance of ignorance. So I think that the, um, that the geopolitical does play a role, but for fund managers, as far as I had when I was advising them at Warburg's and Rothschild's, it seems mm. as if that's very important. But ultimately, it's also just as, as William was saying, it's the earnings and the GDP growth that ultimately swings the cat to which way you're going to, you're going to invest.
0: Mm. And also the investment cycle is picking up, isn't it? We had the budget, India's budget last week, and the finance minister announced the biggest um, increase in spending on on infrastructure um, on record. So we're at we're, we're, we're the right point of the investment cycle, presumably.
1: Improving economic time, excess supply of money, excess demand for goods looming. So I think that that's also a very, very important thing. But again, I want to keep saying that China is not, it's not a clash of cycles. It's a clash of something fundamental in China, structural, which is this party state capitalism. And then India is very much more of a cyclical story, not a trend story mm. present.
0: I mean, um, William, we're getting a lot of foreign companies moving to India now, aren't we? Setting up uh, production there. Also, technology Mm. companies want to go there Mm. because um, Mm. they're seeing um, the movement in supply chains. And also, you've got hundreds of millions of Indians who are getting now bank accounts, access to credit. This presumably is going to attract global companies to India and then along with them, global investors too.
2: Yeah, I think it's good for the world. Uh, I think the whole earth needs growth. Post-pandemic, so we need people to consume uh, to spend more, and at the end of the day, a lot of countries relying on export, you know, uh, um, um, for you know GDP growth, and India has actually historically be a good uh, or big market for China Chinese company as well. So I think you know if uh, Indian consumption can pick up, you know, the pie from um, the losing pie in Europe, that would be good for everyone. And I've seen some Asian companies. Actually, moving to India to take into the market, uh, not just India, you know, in ASEAN as well. If you see, you know, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, I think they're also, you know, or Vietnam per se, they're also, you know, uh, picking up or complementary to the China plus one story.
1: I'm wondering, about- Mexico. Sorry. AJ. Yeah, Mexico. Well, I'm sorry. you were going to say Mexico also, William. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: I, I'm wondering, though, I mean, all these things that we've been talking about, the attractions of India, they are well known, though, aren't they? There's, there's nothing new here. Um, I'm wondering how much of this is already priced into the markets, because um, Indian shares have been going up now for, for, what, eight straight years. So we've seen annual gains for the past eight years. Is it all priced in, do you think, or um, is there more to go?
2: Well, I think there are more to go. I think the biggest question um, as a global fund manager is um, how much you want to allocate to U.S. Because mm. I think in the U.S., a lot of hope and 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 kind of like good news is being pricing in the market, no matter large cap and mid cap stocks. And should there be a global correction, there is no place to hide. So you can go back to the treasury, you can go back to the cash so the first question I have in my mind is outside U.S. Where can I, you know, invest in companies and country with growth? Mm-hmm. I think you know, besides China, India, and Japan, you know, is, is a better place to be compared to some of the European country oh. and maybe some of the um, uh, other emerging market.
0: And um, are you uh, are you reducing your um your investments in the U.S. Uh, we are seeing opportunities in the mid-caps,
2: for example, uh, we are buying some mid-cap equity short fund because with the high rate environment, we are seeing a dispersion of the mid-cap companies in US going to be higher this year. Some company will be very successful because of the potential soft lending environment in US market, but at the same time, we are seeing some mid-caps company uh, not able or suffer from the so-called high labor costs as well as uh, high funding costs so some of the funds actually they're up 80% to 100% last year and when we talk to them they are expecting similar type of opportunity for this year in U.S. so in U.S. we are reducing large cap and rotating towards the equity long shot in mid
0: caps. Are you seeing signs now that you know a lot of as we know a lot of the gains in the US have been driven by these magnificent 7? Are you seeing signs mm. now of a divergence among that magnificent 7 in that maybe some of them like uh, like Nvidia for example, like Meta are going to carry on gaining but some of the others are not so magnificent anymore and I'm thinking maybe Tesla <laughs> um, you know that we seem to be seeing more of a divergence now and, and this um, and discriminatory behavior among investors in picking them
2: well from a sentiment perspective peter the answer is no you know when i talk to some of the um a regional you know uh, institutional investor and some of my global friends i think they still want to long the so-called ai themes and the tech themes if you look at the meta you know stock price you know huge increase i think that explained for something so i think the momentum uh, is likely to be continued. Uh, but again, you know, the opportunity from a risk reward perspective, I would say the mid cap long shot uh, is more kind of like uh, attractive to us because rather than uh, one off, you know, everyone know, we you know what to buy and a uh, simple, you know, long exposure
0: are are you both worried about um, maybe we might be seeing a repeat of the 2023 regional banking crisis there are some signs of some problems developing again aren't there in these smaller um, smaller banks particularly because of their exposure uh, to commercial real estate nzo are, are you is that a worry well
1: it is but i, I think i've i've worried about it so long that i i'm giving up on worrying if you see what i mean because it's, it's just it's um it's it's it, it's there and I don't, it, it seems as if something will be done. I've just been totally wrong on guessing that it's going to be a, a bad scenario. So I'm just sort of, I've become very passive on this whole idea of, of trying to pick one of these faults.
0: What, what do you think, William? Is, is it something we should be concerned about I think we should more concerned about the
2: U.S. you know election and the potential kind of flight market volatility. On the banking side, you know, after the Silicon Valley Bank and you know other situation last year, I think a lot of retail deposit, you know, uh, and as well as you know the regulator is already kind of line monitoring this. So I don't think it would become a, a systematic risk. Mm.
0: And you have just just final thoughts on on the U.S. while while we're there, Where, what's your economic clock saying about the U.S.
1: excess supply of Money is still there. Excess demand for goods, but it's beginning to wane. Mm. So it's but it's still it's 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 just it's the excess supply of money that really gets people into markets. It's less it's less the real economy. It's just if they have spare cash, they will put it into a market treasuries or stocks at at the at its most basic.
0: Okay, and William, let's get some final thoughts from you. We're coming up to the year of the uh, the dragon. The dragon years are supposed to be quite good for markets, aren't they? They're supposed to be quite positive, uh, robust years.
2: Yes, I think don't don't expect or uh, hope for something that we shouldn't hope for. You know, I think everyone is waiting for the first rate cut in the states. You know, um, if it's happening for the wrong reason, I think that would be a surprise. And second is, um, as I mentioned, I think there will be more surprise and volatility in the market. And thirdly, I I truly think, you know, um, investors should go back to the basic and fundamental. I know a lot of investors, they have question on the china Asian market, but at the end of the day, we have to think about, we are also investing in companies. So whether those companies, they are making profit or generating economic interest is the key. For example, I've ordered an Apple Vision Pro, a very manifest maleficent, you know, products. Thirty percent of the component is actually being manufactured in China. Some of the high end manufacturer and those those companies are listed in China Asia market. And unfortunately, some of them are down fifty percent last year, and um, they are growing at thirty percent earnings. So uh, while there are some policy, you know, kind of like concern. Or market volatility. But I think as a fund manager, if we can go back to the company level, look at the business model, uh, look at our outlook, that would be the most kind of like highest confidence or predictable things, you know, uh, as an investor.
0: Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you both very much for your thoughts there. Very interesting discussion this morning. And I wish you both a very happy uh, Year of the Dragon coming up on Saturday, of course. You heard there William Marr, who's Chief Investment Officer at the Grow Investment Group, and also our regular Wednesday morning commentator, Enzio von File, who is Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield.
1: You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money
0: Talk. Thank you for listening this morning. Just a reminder once again to take a look at my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com, where you'll find my daily newsletter with a lot more business and finance news to go with this show. I'll be back tomorrow when my guests will be Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Sunil Kashap, Director of Finmet. And with a view from Taiwan, it's Ross Feingold, Director of Research at Cyrus Consulting in Taipei. Please catch me tomorrow. Money Talk.